0: Reassurance that, again, when you go to the grocery store and when you order off the restaurant menu and you make decisions for what you are going to eat and what you are going to feed your family, you can do that with confidence. You can know that the people behind it are there to be ethical, to be responsible, to do the right thing and provide you options. So whatever works, whatever you believe in, whatever resonates with you, make that choice without guilt, without fear, and feel good about the people that you're supporting at the other end of the food chain.
1: Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome to Animal Tales, where we talk about my favorite subject, animals. I'm excited today to be talking to folks from the ag community. Hannah Thompson-Weeman is the president of the Animal Agriculture Alliance. They just held a stakeholders summit and Hannah's going to give us some of the wrap-up of that. But if there's an industry that's vilified out there by the animal rights community, it's the farm and ranch community. It really bothers me because I know a lot of these folks personally, but I also grew up kind of beside this industry. I was part of the exhibited animal community. I always felt like we were just like farm families. We just traveled and spoke more languages. Good folks who do good work. A small percentage of these folks feed millions and billions of people, yet we tend to vilify them and we tend to listen to things that aren't true about our food. And a lot of narratives out there spun by the animal rights community. So I'm looking forward to unpack some of that and set the record straight and just provide you some more information. As always, there is much more to this story. Hi Hannah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I try to cover all the different aspects of people who love and care for, or work with animals, animal-related businesses. I've done a bit of agriculture um, stories on here. We had Protect the Harvest, Teresa Lucas McMahon was on, and Marla Calico from the International Association of Fairs and Expositions. It just is such a genuine uh, person anyhow, but talked about her background, which I didn't know in the ag world. And we talked about youth and all the great programs out there and how they can be vilified. So uh, tell us what you do.
0: You're the president and CEO of the Animal Agriculture Alliance. Yes, the Animal Ag Alliance is a nonprofit, and our mission is to safeguard the future of animal agriculture and its value to society by bridging the communication gap between the farm and food communities. So if you're listening to this and you are part of the animal agriculture community, or really any community that involves animals, just think about, have you ever seen something about what you do on social media, in the media, maybe even said by a friend or family member that's just blatantly wrong? And usually when I ask that question about every hand in the room, goes up because unfortunately, there are a lot of myths and misinformation out there, especially about animal agriculture. And that's why the Alliance is here to help bridge that gap between farm and fork, correct the narrative, set the record straight, and make sure we're communicating accurate science-based information about the commitment that farmers and ranchers have to being responsible caretakers for the land, for their animals, and being good neighbors and part of their community.
1: Yeah, fantastic. I, I love the way you position that. And obviously you're, you're a pro at this. You do, you speak a lot, you're an expert. uh But the, the, everybody is involved in farming because of our food and have a stake in this. Yet one of the things that's really disturbing for me is this is a lot of the misinformation or the scare tactics are coming from the top down. um Not, not, within our country, Biden's green agenda and some of the misinformation they're providing. And then is it the IUCN and some of the information they provide that uh, is they're misinformed or providing statistics that scare people. So to go with the United States, we've got uh, information out there that says, particularly cattle, I guess it is, our animals are causing problems and a detriment I know this not to be entirely true or the way it's positioned. So talk to us about that a bit.
0: We see a lot of trends around the conversation regarding sustainability. And when the Alliance was first started, we were started back in 1987 and our core issue then was animal welfare so how are animals raised how are they treated on farms what are the animal rights extremists saying about that that we don't agree is accurate and depicts what happens on farms and ranches every day but more and more today we're spending just as much if not more time in the conversation around sustainability and environmental impact and especially as you mentioned when it comes to beef and dairy and the reason for that is because animal rights extremists have realized. First, they realized that just saying go vegan wasn't working for them. Uh, Even still today, the vast majority of people eat, happily eat meat, poultry, dairy, eggs and seafood. The number of self-reported vegans and vegetarians in the U.S. is around four to six percent. And that number is stable, has been stable for decades. That aligns with activist groups own research. So that message of just go vegan, ditch animal protein wasn't working for them. So that's why they started focusing on animal welfare. So attacking production practices that are widely used across animal agriculture and trying to get them banned by legislation or pressuring restaurant retail brands uh, as a way to drive up costs, reduce efficiencies and force consumers to have to make tough choices about what they're going to buy to feed their family in hopes that that will turn them towards alternative sources of protein. And now we're seeing that that conversation, again, hasn't been effective for them. They have certainly been able to get legislation passed and get restaurant retail policies in place that affect the ability for farmers and ranchers to do business, but still the vast majority of the population, again, is consuming more and more, quite frankly, animal protein than ever before. So what we're seeing now is that as the public conversation focuses a lot on the environment, sustainability, climate change, all of those hot topics that are getting a lot of media coverage and getting a lot of conversation, they're saying, oh, how do we latch on to that to our narrative about animal agriculture. So it's this perfect storm of people who have good intentions and do care about the planet and want to be responsible when it comes to the environment. And they don't know a lot about animal agriculture. So that's exactly who's being targeted with these very exaggerated statements about uh, how allegedly animal agriculture is so detrimental to the environment. It's always an oversimplification. It's an exaggeration. And it never takes into the account that everything we eat, everything we do, has an environmental impact and you have to balance that with what the nutritional value is that we bring to the diet which is a very considerable thing to keep in mind
1: yeah that you're so articulate on this again not surprising but just fantastic information and the reason I do the podcast because I know you just wrapped up a a huge summit bringing all these folks together but and it's fantastic no but we are in those situations we're preaching to the choir or we're educating the next generation and, and we'll get into some of the cool programs you guys have for that. So I wanted to do the podcast. I come from the exhibited animal community because I know the stories that aren't out there and I want it to be to the public, the people who are have the least information about this and but yet social media and the animal rights community's narrative And making judgments and and helping legislation get passed or helping uh, further these narratives. So the podcast, my podcast animal tales is really designed not to preach to the choir, but to get out to these folks who we need to, to get to. So again, thank you so much for, for your willingness to be here and how, how you articulate this. So, There was a lot said there. So I'm a mom at home. I'm trying to feed my kids. This is an example, right? My kids are grown, but I'm a mom trying to feed my kids. I grew up healthy, uh, eating meat and basic foods, you know, not a lot of processed stuff. But now I'm being told everything's bad for me. How do I where do I go? What do I do to try to unpack this or figure this out?
0: We actually had um, a registered dietitian speak at our conference this year that you just mentioned, um, Nicole Rodriguez, and she joined Michelle Payne, who is an author and a farmer herself. And they had a really interesting discussion that really focused on this exact question, which is this fear around food mm-hmm. and this idea that what we're buying isn't good enough if it doesn't have a certain label, if it's not at a certain price point, that it's going to be harmful to our families. And quite frankly, I think that's a message that we in the animal agriculture community need to be talking about more because, yes, yes, this legislation impacts us. It makes things more difficult for farmers, but we're in this for a business. If we need to raise animals in a certain way to keep our markets, that's something that our farmers can be resilient. We can adapt to, but it also impacts our consumers. And that's something I'm hearing, especially from the port community with the recent news about Prop 12 being upheld by the Supreme Court, which is a piece of legislation in California that was animal rights activist ribbon that is putting additional restrictions in place of how um, mainly pigs can be housed. It also affects laying hens and veal calves. But the main issue is the, the legislation as it applies to pigs and it gives a space requirement for housing that's not really based in science, doesn't really have demonstrated um, wins for animal welfare, but it is expensive to implement that change. Uh, and that ballot initiative was passed in California by voters who, again, really don't know a lot about what they were voting for. And just like everyone listening to this podcast, just like you, just like me, we love animals. So when something comes to us and says, oh, this is better for animal welfare, you know, who doesn't want that? Uh, But they don't always get the full story of whose definition of animal welfare and the fact that for the people pushing this, again, it's an end game. It's incremental changes. It's about that very slow drumbeat of driving up costs and making production more difficult. And again, what I'm hearing from the pork community is concern for the... shoppers in California that are going to go to the grocery store very soon, now that it's been upheld, and have more expensive pork available to them that, again, food costs are already rising, inflation has already made a lot of things in our daily lives more expensive, and now staples that they rely on to feed their family are going to cost more. Uh, So that's a conversation that I think we in animal agriculture need to be having more, need to be connecting with hunger advocacy groups, and need to be connecting with consumers advocacy groups to tell this story that it's about taking choices away from that mom who's going to the grocery store. And that is something that's completely uh, the opposite of what the Alliance stands for. And we are not trying to sell anything. We're not a commodity group. We're not a a marketing group or a checkoff program even. We're just here to give you information. We want you to go to the grocery store or order off the restaurant menu and be able to choose what fits your values, what fits your budget, what fits your lifestyle without that guilt and know that everything that's available to you was responsibly, ethically produced. And if you want to choose a specialty label or product, that is great. There's a farmer at the other end of the chain that will happily raise that for you. But that doesn't mean that That's the same choice everyone needs to make. Um, So this is going back to the session at summit. That's something uh, those speakers really spoke to is, you know, quite frankly, we should be even more outraged about what these groups are doing, because how dare they apply their values to everyone? Um, If they don't want to eat animal protein, that is fine. You know, there are other options. There are, you know, certainly that's all well and good. But how dare you apply your values to the entire population out there who doesn't share them and just wants to be able to purchase safe, affordable food for their family.
1: Yeah, exactly. And we saw that with the eggs not long ago. And I think it was Marla Calico, again, president of the IAFE, said that eggs, which is uh, such an affordable source of protein, it's a great source of protein, would be hiked up so that uh, the average family can enjoy you know, and utilize that protein. I want to go back to, I'm, I'm still uh, not surprised, but you said four to 6% are vegans uh, or
0: vegetarians.
1: So that's not vegetarian. even just vegans. It's Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting because like a lot of things in our world with politics as well, we hear things on social media, these narratives are out there and they sound like it's the mainstream. And I know from the life I've lived that what the animal rights community is saying is not the mainstream message, but they're very adept. I always say they are not animal experts, but they should teach college courses on how to spin a narrative, how to have a marketing campaign and how to raise funds because that's who they are, right? And I say that kind of lightly, but I'm not lighthearted about it at all because it's changing the fabric of our country it's doing a disservice to so many it's harming people and it's all for greed i mean it's it's unbelievable i'm going to do a podcast with jack hubbard who i think just spoke uh center for environment and welfare who uh is talking about the aspca 2% of their money if that goes to animal programs and the the top tier are making you know millions of dollars in salaries so that's 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 who you're hearing this baloney from, frankly.
0: So vegan yeah, baloney, of course. Um yeah, and I think a bologna, lot of yeah. people are really surprised <laughs> when we mention that four to six percent number because I agree. You just the amount of media coverage that you hear about this, the amount of conversation is just so overblown in terms of what people are actually choosing to eat. And again, that four to six percent is both vegans and vegetarians. And it's an even smaller percentage of that small percentage who has this animal rights mindset, because, again, eating is a personal choice. Whatever you want to eat, that is all well and good. Make your choices, whatever aligns with your values. If that doesn't include animal protein, that is totally fine. You know, we've got corn and soy folks in our membership too. So that's great. Uh, But uh, it's when you take that step of extremism and trying to apply your values to everyone and using myths and misinformation to do that, that it becomes concerning. So it's an even smaller section of that small percentage that's really driving all this conversation and all this narrative. And unfortunately, they are very effective at it. And the other thing that people a lot of times are surprised to hear is that the amount of strategy and coordination that goes into this, it not a small grassroots movement of passionate people fighting for what they believe in. Sure. There are some people who, again, they just believe in this and they're fighting for that. And that's, again, that's something that we have the right to do in this country. But then there's also, again, a lot of funding, a lot of behind the scenes coordination and collaboration. Uh, We have group profiles on more than 200 different organizations that are working in this space. And these organizations take different public approaches very intentionally. You have some that position themselves as very professional, very moderate, and as a way to get in the door. They act like their concern is animal welfare so that they can get meetings with restaurant retail brands. They can get meetings with legislators. They can get interviews with media. And then you have other groups that are very upfront. Animal liberation. We've got to end this. They're very clear about what they want to do. And that's a very intentional, different way of attacking the same issue. And we also have an animal rights activist web on our website that shows the connections between the 40 or so most active groups. It shows project collaboration, funding, and staff and volunteers flowing back and forth. And what that shows is that there are connections between, again, the professional business suit wearing, meeting with legislators, lobbying on the hill groups, and the ones that are going to your house and going outside your kid's school and protesting in that way. They are connected behind the scenes and they have the same end goal they just take different paths to try to get there
1: so uh hannah why don't you give us a little more wrap up on what happened at the summit other other aspects that were you felt are important that again these are people who are not farmers and such who just looking for more information so they can make an informed decision what'd you guys come away with what's interesting
0: We hold an annual Stakeholder Summit each year as a way to bring together everyone with a vested interest in the future of animal agriculture so that we can talk about issues and challenging facing the industry, talk about consumer purchasing habits, what's going on in the grocery store, how do we engage with influencers so that they do have information as they're making decisions, and then kind of a check-in on animal rights, activism, farm security, legislation, all of those things that are going on. This year, our theme was Partners in Progress, building a sustainable future for animal agriculture. And just the idea that we need everyone to be part of this. We need everyone at the table from the farmer and rancher to the folks that support them, associations, companies, uh, the restaurant retail brands, uh, all the way to the end consumer. We need everyone to be part of this conversation so that we can ensure a sustainable future for animal agriculture. And we take sustainability to be a very general term. That's environmental impact. That's animal welfare. That's economic sustainability and viability and just making sure that we have a place on the plate of the future we had around 320 folks attend the conference we were in dc this year we go back and forth between kansas city and dc and some of the main themes that we heard from our speakers were understanding uh, the other side of this conversation. So understanding why consumers might be misinformed, understanding what sources they're hearing from, because sometimes in animal agriculture, we can feel frustrated. How do people not know this? How do people not understand who these people are and why they're saying things that are inaccurate about what we do? But it's so essential, you know, just like you're listening to this podcast to understand our perspective, it's critical that we listen to consumers to understand their perspective and what they're hearing from so that we can make a good faith effort to connect and engage and not just this one way educate or throwing facts at you. We want to make sure it's a two-way conversation. So that was an important part of the discussion this year, along with that idea of partners in progress. So we brought in um, some folks from outside of the barnyard, like we try to do. We had people from the fur community, from the pet community, from the research community, because again, we're all in this together. If you have animals involved in your livelihood at all. So it's important that we are um, working together and collaborating. Uh, we actually have a highlights report from the conference available. If you didn't join us, and again, uh, since you're outside of the animal ag community, it might not make sense for you to come in person. But I do encourage you uh, to seek out that highlights report, our website, animalagalliance.org. You can find it on there just to read the top line messages from our speakers and the challenges, again, facing animal agriculture. And I think it's always eye-opening for people to realize the commitment to continuous improvement in the animal ag community in innovating and making sure we are doing the right thing for the planet for animal welfare for the end consumer because again that's not what you might hear most of the time Uh, but if you read things like the report from our conference you'll really see that we are trying to do the right thing and we want to do it and then communicate about it so that you can feel confident about what you're putting on your plate
1: yeah i i again, very well said. I, I like to say to people when I'm speaking and again to laymen's audiences or such that farmers, ranchers, and ag folks are not the problem in this society. They're, you know, raising family. They understand living living sustainably. It, the, the word sustainable is interesting to me because I'm a third generation animal trainer and um, there are words they use now that really don't apply but yet word itself but yet like sustainable farmers have probably invented the word sustainable so to throw it back and almost use it like it's it's a derogatory thing that you guys you know the farm community doesn't know how to be sustainable or is old-fashioned about that when in fact there's just gosh if you delve into this and i'll provide these links and show notes what uh what you just mentioned and more There's some such great stories out there. And one of the things I love that you folks are doing is, is it called Ag Allies, where you're actually helping these younger uh, members of these families and the the industry get out there and tell the stories. I think that's genius. I love that.
0: And And I, I follow
1: a couple, yeah.
0: To relate to what you were just mentioning on sustainability, uh, so we really do try to kind of reclaim that word. And I know some farmers and ranchers will get frustrated and feel like it's a buzzword because it is used, unfortunately, against us by some of those Take adversarial. Take it back, businesses. yeah. But we <laughs> should be waving the flag because, yeah. as you as you mentioned, you know, we wouldn't mm-hmm. be in business if we weren't sustainable. If we weren't taking care of the land and taking care of the animals, we wouldn't yeah. still be here. Uh, so it's it's core to what we do. It's integral in our DNA to be both. Economic economically sustainable, environmentally sustainable, and again, doing the right thing for our animals and for our consumers. So really try to celebrate it and make it a point of pride. And in addition to the summit theme being sustainability focused this year, we also put out a report every year called the Sustainability Impact Report, which is exactly what you were mentioning, those positive stories of animal welfare, food safety, uh, responsible antibiotic use, uh, conservation, environmental sustainability, all of those things that we talk about. We put that report out every year around Earth Day to be that celebration and talk about what nine different sectors of animal agriculture and agriculture in general are doing to continuously improve and innovate and and really celebrate the progress we've made while also look to where we're going in the future. So we really try to be part of that narrative in a positive way. And we also do that through the programs like you're mentioning. We have two one is College Aggies Online and one is Animal Ag Allies. And College Aggies Online is for college students who usually uh, college agriculture students have a lot of passion a lot of knowledge but they might not know the best way to communicate on their campus about animal agriculture and college campuses tend to be really a hotbed for these conversations Uh, because it's the first time that students are on their own they're making their own food purchasing decisions Uh, so they're being faced with a barrage of labels and leafleting on campus and all these campaigns so we wanted to help make sure that college agriculture students could be part of that conversation so in 2009 we started College Aggies Online, which is a scholarship competition program that uh, students can compete either as individuals or as clubs. It runs for about nine weeks every fall, usually from September to the end of November, and they get different challenges, such as writing a blog post or posting on social media or holding an event on campus. They get connected with industry expert mentors who provide them feedback and review their content and hold webinars to work with them. And then ultimately, they get points throughout the competition, and the top students win scholarships prizes. And they get to attend our annual conference that we were just talking about that we just had to be recognized and network with all of our members. Mm, We more recently started a program called Animal Ag Allies, which is more for farmers, ranchers, practicing veterinarians and others in the industry, because we would give a lot of presentations and typically we talk about activism issues. And then we say, we need to be communicating, telling our story And rightfully so, there would usually be at least one person in the audience that would say, well, I'm a salesperson, or I'm a farmer, or I'm a scientist. I don't know how to do that. So how do I do that? So we Mm -hmm. started the Animal Ag Allies program to help those folks. It's a series of self-paced online modules about current issues, communicating about contentious topics, growing a social following, public speaking, media interviews. Uh, And then once you finish the training, you get to join a networking group to connect with others who've completed the training. And we hold regular webinars as kind of refreshers on issues and emerging communication trends. Uh, so Animal Ag Allies is the program more for professionals and then College Aggies is for students.
1: Great, because it lies with our youth and these, these, uh, I know from experience, <clears throat> both of my kids went to college in state schools in Florida and they were raised with animals. They're not uh, farm kids, but they were raised with animals and have a different mindset and neither one could really relate to the mindset of college kids. And so this is, um, a few years back at this point. So I can fully appreciate being in college and coming from the ag community and what what the uh, climate is like. So kudos to you guys, because I think these are both great programs. And I think that in the world I come from, if we had done a better job, maybe in in getting our youth to be able to articulate that and one of the things I am enjoying talking with you because one of the things that we we know the animal rights groups use is emotion they have an actress and a picture of a sad cow or whatever it is a puppy or the Sarah McLaughlin
0: song in the background yeah
1: exactly and they're using emotion very effectively again they, that's a that's a very dedicated uh campaign that has really nothing to do with reality and that we don't have enough emotion. I tell people, go to your county fair. You want to see the coolest part of, in my, in my view, Americana, go to the county fair and see the kids um, with their, their steer or their sheep or their pigs or whatever, showing them smaller animals. The whole family comes out, they set up their little tent and the mom brings the crock pots and the toddlers are running around. That's not the problem with families in this country. That's what actually could help us maintain that. And we're just vilifying this group of people. And it, it's so disturbing to me. And then it's bigger than that because we're making food choices and doing things, giving babies non-dairy milk, for example, is one of the things I know has been a hot topic as well. So there's so much here that people really need to understand. I, I need to do a few of these type of uh podcast because I really want people to understand this story. It's a big story. And we can't live without farmers and ranchers. We, we depend on them for our food. I read a statistic. I'm trying to remember what it is, but it's a very small percentage of farmers that feed like millions or billions of people. Do you happen to know the statistic? It's really um, the number that's
0: coming to my head i know farm bureau has put one out that i think it's like one farmer feeds um, more than 150 people in the US um, yeah. and you know it's a very small percentage of the u.s population who are farmers it's less than two percent who are directly engaged in production agriculture and unfortunately that number doesn't seem to, to increase or grow uh quite the opposite most of the time so it's a very small percentage of the population who's doing a lot for all of us and that's why we want to have these programs that empower them to add their voices to the dialogue because they are passionate about this they are emotional about this Uh, so if we can put them in front of people i think it really helps tell that story uh, and again correct the narrative that these are people who are dedicated to this and one of our summit speakers put it in a way that i really appreciated you know you've got people that care about animals but then you've got people who do the work to actually care for animals and that says a lot Uh, so i really appreciated the way he articulated that because people have dedicated their livelihoods to this, their educations to this, uh, their day-to-day work to caring for animals so that we can enjoy meat, poultry, dairy, eggs, and seafood. And I think lifting the voices of people who are doing that day-to-day and have the boots on the ground is one of the most effective things that we can do to really help people feel more confident in making their food decisions.
1: And we need to stop vilifying this group of people because we need their children and their the gener. I always say it's generational expertise combined with education, updates in science, technology, and best practices that makes a great program. You take out that generational expertise, you lose. And we're we're pushing people away from this because who wants to be in an industry that's so vilified and nobody's in it for the money let's face it (laughs) I always laugh when that one comes up we make money off the backs of our animals and you know like we're all retiring rich uh, that have have had animals in our lives (laughs) do you have a particular story or something um, a fun note story or such that you like to tell
0: about maybe your background with animals or something that comes to mind well, you've mentioned um, Marla Calico from the International Association of oh, Fairs yeah. Expos a few times, which always reminds me. And I think I've told Marla this, but my wedding was actually county fair themed. Ah, that's how that's how deep my roots are. Um, I'm from (laughs) Maryland, and I grew up with a dairy background. Uh, You guys can't see, but Heidi can that I actually have a cow on the wall behind me. Uh, So I grew up um, not on a farm myself. There was agriculture on both sides of my family. My grandfather was an ag teacher, um, but uh, not really any active commercial farms by the time I came along. So my family just had a hobby farm: horses, chickens, sheep, goats, kind of random things going on, Um, but. When I turned eight and could join 4-H, our close family friends oh, yeah. gave me a brown Swiss heifer named Joy. And that was really, um, you know, the start of it all for me, raising her at our place and getting involved in showing and public speaking, dairy judging, which led me to get involved in FFA, uh, which led to me to do the Ag uh, ag communications career development event, which solidified that's what I wanted to do, uh, and took me to Ohio State to study ag communications. And then ultimately led to me. Being being back here at the alliance. Uh, so uh, again, county fairs were a really integral part of me growing up as well as oh, my yeah. husband. So our wedding had ribbons for the, the table numbers. We had cotton candy oh, I love as it. our favor. We had lawn <laughs> games, uh, all kinds of stuff um, going back to our, our county fair roots. Uh, so I really believe in this both personally and professionally. This is something that's so important to me. My husband's a large animal veterinarian now. Uh, so this is really part of my life and I really want to work on behalf of people that have meant so much to me personally as well as professionally.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And living it, it's not just, you're not just there as somebody who's taken this information and able to articulate it. It comes from the heart and you live it. I do the same thing. One of the reasons I'm doing this is just because I know the information, I know the beauty of the world I come from and the greatness. And I also know the challenges and we're not allowed to, you know, it's like, they're just getting lost. So, you know, thank you for what you do. And I love the part about your wedding. Fantastic. It's the county fairs 4 H FFA are just such great programs. If you, if you have a child, and we talked about this with Marla Calico, it was an early episode and you know, they, they need a community. So whether it's sports or arts or drama or whatever it is, swimming, but if you want a community of really cool people, 4-H when they're young and then FFA chapters are just spectacular ways to go with your kids.
0: And they're even broader than just agriculture, which I, I think know. That is I great. didn't I just that. met someone um, recently. Actually, she's my son's swim class instructor, and she mentioned something about um, her kids being in 4-H. So, of course, I said, "What kind of animals do they show?" And they don't. They do robotics, which is yeah. super cool. So, you know, it's not yeah. just agriculture that's obviously at the heart of it and an important part of it, but it's also just careers in general and and science and and a lot of really cool stuff. So, I think yeah. those programs are really something. that no matter what your background is, urban, rural, you can find value in it and it'll set you up for success. Yeah.
1: And kudos to the 4-H for, for having that pivot and expanding because sometimes we do get lost in our world. Uh, This has been great. And again, we barely touched the surface. I'll certainly post all the links you mentioned, Uh, but I'd like to give you an opportunity to wrap it up. What are, what are people listening to this who Maybe starting to realize there's more to the story, which is the theme of my podcast. There's definitely more to these stories. What are they? what else would you like to lead them with?
0: reassurance that again, when you go to the grocery store and when you order off the restaurant menu and you make decisions for what you are going to eat and what you're going to feed your family, you can do that with confidence. You can know that the people behind it are there to be ethical, to be responsible, to do the right thing and provide you options. So whatever works, whatever you believe in, whatever resonates with you, make that choice without guilt, without fear, and feel good about the people that you're supporting at the other end of the food chain. And if you'd like more information uh, about this, the Alliance is very active on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are there sharing information pretty much daily uh, about animal agriculture. So if you'd like to follow along, those are great places to go to write in your social feed. Just get little tidbits and information uh, about the people that are raising food for you and providing you those choices for your table. Our website is animalagalliance.org if you'd like to dive more deeply. And I know Heidi mentioned she Drop some links as well. Uh, yeah. So please do connect with us, follow along with us. And if you ever do have questions or concerns, don't hesitate to reach out. We'd love to help connect you with our members, with farmers and ranchers, and with more information so that you can be informed and empowered to make decisions.
1: Terrific. And by the way, you folks are all eating the same food that they're raising for the rest of the folks who aren't out there raising food. So You know, we're all in this together. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I think there's going to be more to come because there's just the tip of the iceberg on the information. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you so much. Well, I feel like we just barely got into the discussion. There's so much here, but a lot of this is online. There's such great information and you can take a look at it at your own pace. And then maybe make some more informed decisions and understand the the heart of this issue and who these folks are that are, are providing our food. I'll provide all these links. Be sure and check out show notes for the links Hannah mentioned. I thank you for joining me. Please subscribe, rate and review the podcast and share it. It's important for me to tell these stories and I really hope you will share them. I also hope you'll join me next time for more animal tales.